Broadcasting from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in the capital city of Tallahassee, this is Front Row Knowles with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Good day, everybody. Tom Block and Keith Jones. We welcome you to Front Row Knowles. JJ, uh, at the beach as we're speaking. I'll be at the beach by the time you're listening. Happy 4th to you and yours. How are you, KJ? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. The heat and the humidity uh, is taking its toll. But, um, you know, last I checked, the beach is still open early in the morning and late in the afternoon evening. So it works out fine if you're smart. Uh, in other words, you choose not to uh, alarm the beach uh, your presence between the hours of say 11a and 5p something like that something like that correct <laughs> hey our osceola insider bob frante is going to join us next segment the osceola has been doing a whole series just going position group by position group and uh, this used to be a lot uh, a lot more disconcerting when we did this keith in recent years because there really weren't a lot of good answers and it's amazing how in three years we're now on the other side of the coin not to say that that Florida State's roster is perfect, uh, but there's there's going to be jobs to be won, and there will be legitimate position battles, and that that's exciting as you go into a fall camp. I'm going to make a prediction, Tom. I'm not going to bring up the quarterback position. You don't bring up the quarterback position. Let's see if Ferrante brings up the quarterback position, uh, because I think that's going to be a telling thing, because not a lot being asked about that. You agree? Yeah, and I don't think that's one of the jobs that's open. Uh, so I don't know that that's Agreed. where the Osceola has focused its efforts. Uh, it is <laughs> amazing, and I don't know how many games Jordan Travis has started because he's missed a couple due to injury, but, what, 13 last year? Uh, you know, he's probably sitting at 23, 25 starts in his career. Jaden Daniels for LSU is at 43 right now because he started every game since his freshman year. So we think of Jordan and how experienced he is, and he is, but game one, he's going to see a quarterback that started 20 more games than he has. That's pretty remarkable. Very remarkable. Very remarkable. And a very dangerous quarterback in Daniels. And, of course, as we get closer to that kickoff, you know, we'll talk more about that. We will talk about uh, some of the key position groups and battles for Florida State in our next site, the segment with Bob Ferrante. Then uh, a little bit later on, we're going to re-air the interview we did with FSU's new pitching coach, Micah Posey. He just joined the staff last week. If you missed the interview last week, it's still fresh. And so we'll bring that your way. Hope, uh, again, you're having a, a happy and safe holiday with family and friends. Uh, we're just getting cranked up. Bob joins us next, so stay with us. Front Row Knowles is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now back to Tom and Keith. back everybody to front row Knowles, tom block keith jones and we open up that earl bacon agency hotline and say hello to our osceola insider bob ferrante my dog is joining the show as well so apologies if you're hearing that but uh, bob how are you sir doing great how are you appreciate you joining us you're uh, away on family vacay keith's at the beach uh, i'm heading to the beach and, and many of our listeners probably as you're consuming this podcast this week or if you're listening live you may be doing so uh, from a vacation as well. So I hope everybody's having a, a happier and safe 4th of July week. All right, Bob, 4th of July means, uh, and I still don't, do we know when they're officially opening camp yet? But I mean, probably less than a month till the opening of camp right now, right? 
Yeah, I think we're we're just about 30 days. I mean, you always figure it's 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 30 days in reverse from when the season opener is. So that's September 3rd down in Orlando. I, I think we've uh we're coming quite close to that 30 day mark now. Yeah, excellent. Well, you and, and the Osceola crew have been doing uh a series uh on on online and uh be the Osceola of a position breakdown, just kind of going group by group. Uh, and I'm not sure how many groups you've been through, but uh, pick, pick the one that's been most intriguing to you. I don't know if that means it was the most difficult to write or maybe more where the most questions were, but uh, the most captivating. Where, where do you want to start on that group? I, I think what's been fun is just to see, you know, our baseline is how far has this position group come maybe from 2021 to 2022 and then how they look in the spring. And when you look at a lot of those groups, I think the, the ones that have come the farthest easily, obviously wide receiver. Um, we're very optimistic about the tight ends just based on Jaheim Bell and Kyle Morlock, you know, what they showed in the spring. So I, I think those are two that we can really appreciate how far they've come. Um, obviously offensive line, because from when Mike Norvell and Alex Atkins arrived to now, it, it's just easy to see the quality and quantity of guys, how they've used the transfer portal Yes, to a, to a lot of degree, but um, you know we remember guys like Darius Washington and Maurice Smith were were redshirt freshmen back in the day and taking their lumps, and now you know they're the veterans. They're the guys with a ton of starts. I, I think the the one position group that I still worry about, uh, especially in the event of an injury, would be linebacker. It, it's still a very thin on depth, thin on experience group after guys like Kalen Deloach and and Tatum Bethune because, you know, some guys are lost to the portal. Um, you know, we've seen Brian Courtney moved over somewhat to that side of the ball where he's going to be a, a slash guy, a tight end linebacker type, and we'll kind of see where that goes in his development. But you would like to see more guys at linebacker, even in a 4-2-5 defense that, that Florida State might predominantly use. There's times where you need more linebackers. There's times where there's injuries. And so I think that's that's just a group that that you're going to be worried about how those guys stay healthy throughout the course of a season. Bob, I do want to go back uh, to one of the comments you made about the offensive line and, and being uh, encouraged because of the starts. Did I read this correctly? And and I never thought I would say this, um, certainly anytime soon. But Florida State's offensive line has the most combined starts of any unit in the country. Yeah, it's pretty crazy to, to hear that, right? Um, yeah, and, and you know, I think dug that one up and, and had 206 starts. It, it turned out to be 207 because Thomas Schrader had one back in 2020. And and we're not counting Bless Harris's starts at uh, you know at Lamar on the FCS level. So even if you're not counting FCS starts for, for a guy like Bless who's come a long way, um, this offensive line group has come a long way just in, in terms of hey, you're throwing every freshman out there. You're trying to find a transfer who would love to come to Tallahassee, who would want to be, you know, a leader, a mentor to some of those younger guys. And now all of a sudden, not just 207 starts, but the number two school on that list was Louisville with 150. So just in terms of, hey, it's great to have guys who have been there and done that on game days. They have, and they've prepared for these games too. And then they can mentor the next younger group 
because the number is going to shoot down dramatically going to 2024. But but that progression is really, really cool. It's going to be fun to see how these guys play, uh, run block, need to improve in pass protection still. But then how do they help develop some of these younger guys, the Julian Armellas, uh, the Jalen Earlys, you know, just that next wave of FSU linemen. How many years we've been doing this now with Zoom and I still left it on mute? Maybe that is the most intriguing uh, position group then, Bob, because while the receiving core is much improved, we all agree, I think we could pretty easily get to a consensus on who the starters are going to be. And, and linebacker, same thing. There's questions about depth, safety. We know who the first two are. We're worried if what happens if one of those goes down. I suppose maybe at corner, we don't know the two starter starting corners because there's maybe three or four guys in the mix there. But I think offensive line, we really don't know of those eight or nine guys that are most responsible for all those starts, which are going to be the first five. I mean, do you do you feel confident that you know where Atkins is going to land on that? I'll, I'll be honest. Pat Burnham wrote this one, and I thought he did a really good job of, of trying to establish a depth chart and and you know start with a one and then, and then progress down two three four we've come a long way in terms of writing about this group because remember we, we've discussed the goal was to get to eight dependable guys five starters three who could float we're well past eight now and again the the true deal is to get get older stay healthy um i i think you know looking back at pat's depth chart you know, from right to left, he's got Jeremiah Byers at right tackle, Dimitri Emanuel getting that waiver coming back at right guard. Murray Smith's been super impressive consistently at, at center. Left guard, that's one that could be a, a Casey Roddick. It could be a Darius Washington. Uh, you know, Darius being that sort of Swiss Army knife who's been able to play just about everywhere. And then at left tackle, it, it could be a Rob Scott or a Bless Harris. But these are good discussions to have just to have that c competition. This kind of feels like we're, we're, we're talking about a, I don't want to say a Bobby Bowden era offensive line, but again, there's the competition to bring out the best possible options. And yeah, a lot of these guys are transfers, but a lot of them are also younger guys who grew up through the system, um, embraced what Alex Atkins was teaching, embraced him as a mentor and teacher and learned from guys like Devontae Love Taylor and, and Dylan Gibbons. So I think that's just the positives are you're seeing so many more potential options there and and potentially guys who can go from guard to center potentially guys who they may not win the starting tackle job so then do they best slot in as a guard just that kind of position versatility i think is something that alex atkins really craves too another thing that's happened guys and i'll be the last to, to get on the wagon but you know 15 20 years ago uh, it was very, it became very customary to play four or five defensive tackles. So it really didn't matter necessarily if you were the starter, but everybody always said, you got to have the, the unity and that, that front five on the offensive side, and they've got to get snaps together and they've got to play as a unit and develop that cohesiveness. I'm not so sure we haven't maybe gone away from that too. So it's not uncommon to play seven or eight you know, on a regular basis on the offensive side, just like you rotate your tackles. Maybe we're getting away from that older philosophy. I don't know. What do you think? 
Yeah, I, I think on on the defensive line, you know, Coach Norvell has been adamant that that you, you need numbers. You need to throw a serious number of numbers to, to keep, um, you know, just to, just to keep up with the spread, the, the tempo of offensive football. On the offensive line, I, I like where Florida State's going just in, in terms of quality, quantity. Um, you know, we, we still joke it wouldn't be a bad idea to go to that Kentucky Derby offense of the 1990s. Again, just to get a second team unit some real continuity and some time uh second quarter early enough in a game just to get them that good experience so i, I think we're all kind of maybe craving that uh that back in the day mindset of of how do you get guys playing time but potentially this is another good storyline with with this team is we all feel overconfident it is july but maybe you feel that that this program's at a point where you're going to put away opponents earlier in the game and you can get your number two offensive line or your number two whatever into games it, it, my how far we've come from um you know kind of those ugly losses to now we're, we're talking about potentially you can get your tate rodemaker in the game you can get your number three receiver out there you can just potentially open up the full roster to to the possibilities but you got to take care of business in the first half, obviously. Well, that that begs the old question: Did the uh, did the Kentucky Derby offense create the dynasty, or did the, the dynasty create the Kentucky Derby offense? I guess we're going to find out in phase two right now in twenty three. The question I was going to ask Keith is: How obnoxious or audacious do you think that Kentucky Derby offense was, as perceived by FSU opponents? When Florida State would just say, hey, we're just going to roll our second team out there because we're that much better than you. And, and it's still seven to nothing or, or three to nothing, yeah. you know, halfway yeah. through the first quarter. To your point, Keith, about, and, and I think it would, I, I don't think it's commonplace necessarily that you're switching offensive linemen, but I think it's probably more frequent and common now, certainly than it used to be. But maybe you switch the the left side, like you switch the tackle and the guard at the same time. So in the illustration that Bob used, I mean, if you've got Roddick and Bless Harris as your starters, but then for a series, you put in Rob Scott and Darius Washington, who've been on the team together for four years, and that's your left tackle and left guard, they would know each other pretty well. I guess what I'm saying is that the guard and tackle, it feels like they need to be more in lockstep. And if you're going to you wouldn't change the left tackle and the right guard necessarily, or let me switch the center and the right tackle, but it feels like you might switch a, a tackle on the same side. I don't know. Could be. We'll go, we'll go Kentucky Derby 2.0. We'll, and, see. And well, Bob, the position group we really want to know is who's going to handle the kicking duties. I mean, is this going to go right down to the last, but Thursday before the LSU game, we're going to, or, or we're going to, we're going to see during warmups who's kicking better. I mean, how are we going to let that shake out? I never know if this is reflective of the Florida State fan base just because of the history of the program or or if there is true curiosity over over kicker and in a close game, is it Ryan Fitzgerald, is it Tyler Keltner, the, you know, the the walk-on who's who's come from East Tennessee and had some really great years up there, but just was was again wanting to come back home to you know to finish out his college career. I I would love to have seen some of those scrimmages, to have watched a little bit more of okay. What was the situation? Um, you know, what hash mark are you on? And how, how competitive were some of those pressure kicks? Um, I, the coaches say that they're very competitive. Of course, they're going to say that. 
but I think we want to see that continuing into August. Um, I, I think Tyler Keltner is here for a reason because Ryan Fitzgerald, um, you know, just missed too many kicks inside of 40 yards. I, I think the expectation for a college kicker has to be, you know, at this level, you're going to make, I don't want to say nine out of 10 of, of your 40 and in, but, but you're expected to make a lot of those unless wind rain elements are, are just, are just not in your favor, but but of the competitions, it's honestly one of the ones I'm most curious about is just how that shakes out. And and because we we do think special teams can be a huge benefit because of how the coaches invest that amount of time in their practices uh, to the return game, coverage units, kicking, punting, and, and, and all that. Bob, you get any feedback from folks uh, amongst the Osceola group about how the summer workouts are going or anybody that's standing out or some kind of theme that may be developing? I, I think there's going to be um, a lot of enthusiasm to see Keon Coleman and Destin Hill, especially. Um, I, I think Destin is, is because everybody's had to wait two years to see him and, and how's he going to acclimate. I, I still have, I think reservations until I see it personally in August. Um, where is he from learning the playbook, strength and conditioning, all that? I, I still personally think he'll have a bigger impact as a return guy. But uh, a few people that we've talked to have said Keon Coleman is the real deal. The guy is legitimately fast and has that size and has that body to adjust to the ball. Again, the, the basketball background is, is evident with him. Um, Keon thinks he's going to be in Tallahassee for eight to nine months, and that's fine. That is the transfer portal era with a lot of these guys. And there's also transfer portal guys who are committed to a two-year stay in Tallahassee. So it, it's going to be different for everybody. But I, I think those are two of the guys that that we're really excited to see. Um, you know, I, I mentioned uncertainty with linebacker earlier. I'm high on Blake Nicholson just based on what we saw of him on high school film. Um, the old adage being you want your linebacker to be a runner and a hitter. He was a pretty darn good running back who could probably be a power five running back. And he does like to hit. So if if he is just half as good as, as we're maybe building him up to be, I think he can be a good special teams player and, and potentially get some real you know snaps and reps um, in, in games. So I do think there's a lot of guys that we're excited to see. Um, it's like everything else, just how quickly can you get acclimated? A lot of these practices now, you know, coaches can watch them. There is some limited amount of times, hours per week, that the coaches can be out there. And again, they can use a football now, whereas years ago, the NCAA wouldn't even let you use a football. So we've come a long way, I think, as far as the NCAA letting coaches do things over the summer in the name of player development these are these are good you know true positives i'm not sure we're going to know a ton until august until we can really see those practices stacked on top of each other and who gets worn down in that heat and humidity who's really able to get out there and and, and consistently do it bob frante our guest and uh we'll take a break and bob have a have a safe and happy rest of your uh fourth of july holiday this week Will do. Absolutely. Take care. You guys too. Enjoy it. All right. Uh, more front row Knowles coming up. We're going to uh, replay the interview we did with new pitching coach Micah Posey in our next segment. Uh, he joined the staff last week.
That's straight ahead here on Front Row Knowles. Be sure to subscribe to the Front Row Knowles podcast and follow at Front Row Knowles on Twitter. Now back to at underscore Tom Block and Twitterless Keith Jones. Yes, you heard us right in the Prime Meridian Bank Studios. Welcome back to Front Row Knowles. We continue now, and uh, as promised, we're going to talk some Florida State baseball, and uh, we're really pleased to bring to the show the uh, new pitching coach for Florida State, a familiar name for folks who are from uh, these parts. Micah Posey is is back in Tallahassee, and uh, that, that's the starting point for this conversation as we reopen that Earl Bacon Agency hot, hotline. Micah, how uh, surreal, maybe, I don't know if that's an accurate word or not, but uh, how does it feel to, to now be on the coaching staff of a team you grew up following right here in Tallahassee? Yeah, I mean, very, very surreal. I think that's a pretty fair word. Um, you know, growing up, I said earlier today, growing up, you know, this was kind of like Disney World to me. You know, this was the mystical, magical thing. And, you know, this was the hometown team and, you know, almost unobtainable, you know, you feel like. And, you know, now I'm kind of in this role and I'm excited. And, you know, definitely people throw around around the world word dream job. But people that know me know that, like this is a pretty special opportunity and I can't wait to get work and excited. Micah, tell us about the uh, conversation with your dad when you informed him you had been offered and you had accepted. What was that conversation like? Yeah, uh, we, you know, con- the, the conversation was kind of ramping up with Link a little bit, and I could tell it was kind of escalating. And um, I just told my dad that, you know, we were – I was kind of in the mix, but we were just more so talking. I tried to downplay it as much as possible, mainly, mainly for my mom. Uh, I didn't want to break her heart or anything like that. So, yeah, he was really excited. And, um, obviously, we've shared some father-son moments at the ballpark here. And, um, you know, just a chance to get us back home. I, you know, he's really excited. But also, you know, to wear the garden and gold, he was he was thrilled as well. So, I heard your comment earlier today that, uh, you know, it's been a while since you've worn the garnet and gold because your allegiance goes with, with who your employer is and you've been at different institutions. But you put the garnet and gold back on and it felt like you were tailgating again, I think is what you said. So uh, I'm guessing that means not only did you grow up in, in the shadows of FSU, but you did grow up an FSU fan? Absolutely, absolutely. You know, Bobby Bowden was, you know, a childhood hero. You know, um, you know Marvin Jones was my guy. You know the visor and and the you know the way he hit guys. I, I just was drawn to that as a young kid. And um, obviously there's some special teams come through here. And then you know I remember Nick Stocks. You know when I was in high school, or you know he was a guy that I used to study and watch it quite a bit. And so um, you know JD Drew, all these guys that came through the program. And so yeah, so um, but yeah, that's my pet peeve. I hate when people wear other schools stuff and I've gotten some Florida State gear um, for Christmas over the last few years and I've just never worn it so today you know I put it on I'm like man am I you know am I going tailgate and it was kind of like it's kind of funny did you grow up um, going to the Mike Martin camp or what's your first Florida State memory whether it's baseball or other yeah I went to a Mike Martin camp and I remember Alan Swindle did the pitching and you know, I still remember the day, glove side camera and taking a picture of the, pit, the hitter and then take a picture of yourself. And, um, yeah, I, I came to these camps and then I came to a prospect camp when I was older to be recruited. And so, yeah, I mean, I grew up around this and, yeah, I was definitely involved. And, yeah, I remember when the camp was over at, um, you know, Messer Park. And, yeah, so, yeah, I definitely grew up around this. 
Mark, it takes us back to when uh, you were graduating high school and, and the considerations and thoughts you had between college and, uh, and going into the major leagues, into the minor league system. Uh, how difficult of a decision was that for you? Yeah, I mean, it was very hard at the time. Um, you know, I was a late bloomer. I would be what you call a late bloomer. Um, you know, my velocity didn't come on until probably my senior year. Um, so I was kind of a late bloomer. And, you know, I felt like Tyson Community College gave me the best opportunity to pitch and get innings right away. I didn't feel like I was quite ready for Florida State. And so, yeah, I did that. And then, you know, the pro side comes into play and, um, you know, the, the chance to play pro ball. And, you know, I was a young kid. And I think if I got done all over again, I would have probably rethought that. But at the time, you know, this, these were the kind of the options. And so, yeah. So, but, um, yeah. I'm not going to remember the years, but I ran into John Bentley not too long ago. And I know he's from North Florida, Christian. Were you, were you teammates with him or the age is way off? But certainly you know him, I'm sure, since he played for your I dad. Was, John Bentley played for my dad in 95. Um, that was the first state championship that NFC baseball had ever won. John was very instrumental in that. He was, you know, him and Matt Mayo were the one and two pitchers. And I was the bat boy, believe it or not. I was in sixth grade. Um, and I idolized John Bentley and Matt Mayo. Those were, that was my first like real look at what a pitcher should be. And so, yeah, John Bentley was like a childhood hero to me. And continuing that theme of relationships, uh, coach, when, when did you meet Link and, and tell us about your relationship with him? Yeah, I was like telling guys earlier, I've known Link. Um, I wouldn't say we were like real good friends, but, you know, we've known each other for a long time. Um, obviously, him going to Florida High. I used to play wiffle ball back on Chapel Drive where his parents lived with his little brother. Um, you know, he, he came out a couple of times. We play wiffle ball at my buddy's house. And so, and then Babe Bruce, um, Link would come out. Him and I remember Scooby Morgan and a couple other guys came out and they would work, you know, the prep boot camp, whatever. And I was a player at that time. And then we competed against each other the last four or five years, um, you know. Until he went to Notre Dame, we had competed against each other. And then when I saw him on the road, we would always have some small talk. And, um, yeah, so I'm very familiar with him. And I think, you know, probably more familiar with him than he is with me um, from, a, from a younger age. Well, I know you got to hit the ground running as you guys work to return Florida State to, to what it's been uh, historically. I guess from a from well, first of all, it, it helps that you you know Tallahassee and you probably have a place to stay as you're trying to find permanent housing here, right? But you know, once once right. you take the job or, or once you accepted the job, is the first thing you're doing looking at the roster? Does Link give you a, a hey, we've got you know five righties and four lefties, and this is what we need? I mean, how do you assess that and and, and gain a grasp and understanding of exactly what the needs are given the short time frame you're working with right now? Yeah, that's a great question. Link's done a really good job, you know, him and his, and Rich and uh, Chuck, they had done a really good job getting out in front of this. And so I feel like, you know, we're really boiling down to like a couple arms. You know, we're not really in a huge need for, you know, six, seven, eight arms. Um, they've done a pretty good job in the portal and getting some good pieces in here. And so now we're kind of, you know, just trying to be picky and trying to get the right one or two guys in here. And, you know, a lot of that will depend on kind of, what we feel like some holes are within the, the, the guys we have and, and try to fill those as best we can. But, you know, coming in, it's not like last summer when those guys came in, it's probably a little different feel for linking these guys. They were, they were probably trying to put together a team with the portal and, and, and transfers and stuff like that. So this year 
they've done a really good job stabilizing the roster, and now we're just kind of trying to find the right piece or two to, to complete it. Michael, how much tape have you uh, seen of the guys? Are you are you starting from scratch and you just want to see them live? What's going to be your approach uh, for those that are coming back? Yeah, I've dug into some of the metrics on some of the guys and just the movement profiles of the pitches. I've watched a little bit of video on Synergy and, and seen kind of some of the, the footage. And, um, you know, it's, it's a lot of a lot to take in with a lot of different guys. But for me, you know, the biggest thing I want to do is see it in person and give everybody a fresh slate. You know, some of these guys were, you know, thrusted into the spotlight for the first time. It was their first full go at it. And some of them, you know, are maybe returners and, you know, maybe it was just an off year. So, um, but yeah, there's some good pieces here. I think, you know, the draft will have a, a great impact on, on, you know, us one way or the other, and ho hopefully we can end up on the right side of that thing. But yeah, the main thing is just kind of looking at video and just trying to familiarize yourself with just little things and, and then try not to speak too fast. You know, when we get in the fall, there'll be some urgency to get some guys better and, and coach them up and, and those things, but also, um, there's going to be a little learning. We got to learn each other and, you know, you can't rush some things. So, um, it's going to be a little touch and go there for a little bit, but, you know, that's kind of the art of it, and that's kind of what I look forward to. I know as you guys build this program up, you can't go from the, the, the first floor to the fourth floor without stopping at the second floor and third floor along the way, right? But I'm, I'm curious, when you watched this year's College World Series and you watched Florida and LSU in that series, uh, where is Florida State in relation to that in, in, in your mind? And I know you need to get a better handle on it, but, uh, you know, I think sometimes fans can look at it and think, well, we need another 27 new guys on the roster, and you're able to look at it and say, well, really, we need a couple guys here, we need a few arms here, and it, it's not as far away as we might think. Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's as far away as most people think. I, I look at, when I look at specifically the arms last year, I mean, there was just, you know, there were some young pieces that were asked a lot of, you know, and so, you don't want to throw those experiences away. Like those are great things to build off of. And so now coming into this year, you might feel like, Hey, this team's got a little bit of experience um, versus maybe a team, you know, that didn't, but you know, as far as how far away for state is and all that, it's just, it's hard to say um, a lot can change in a, in a short amount of time. And, you know, I know this like for state's very, still very well respected um, specifically in the recruiting trail. Um, people are taking our calls and they want to be part of it. And so, you know, for us, you know, we just got to make sure we're getting the right guys in here and, and coach them up and, and kind of turn them loose. All right, coach, got to give us a, you just got to give us the right answer, the correct answer. You're watching last night. Who were you pulling for silently, LSU or Florida? I don't, I pull for neither one of them. <laughs> you passed um, the test, but, Yeah, I mean. You passed the test. <laughs> yeah, I, I couldn't pull for either one of those guys, let's be honest with you, but, um, yeah, obviously the one school, you know. Yeah, so yeah, I'll just leave it at that. Hey, you've been at Dallas Baptist the last few years. And uh, to me, and I used to uh, announce uh, the baseball games for several years with Lulu. And, and Dallas Baptist has been on the radar for a number of years, more than on the radar. I mean, had a lot of, a lot of success. And I'm just curious because I think the average FSU fan, they see the name, they don't really know much about it give us a little and I know this is your your former place now but tell us a little bit about Dallas Baptist mm -hmm. and, and why it's so successful at, at, at collegiate baseball yeah I mean you got a head coach that's been there for a while Dan Heathner um, he's you know a really good baseball coach and you know anytime a job's open in the country it doesn't matter how big or small he's his name's always gonna be in the mix and um, you know I think it starts with him and you know they've they've had some good teams they've had some good players I think um, just completed their ninth straight regional um, tournament appearance. And, 
you know, have been to two Super Regionals, was in a Super Regional in 21. Um, and then, you know, if you take the last eight years um, and combine them, you know, DBU's top 15 in the country and the amount of guys drafted out of there. So it's a it's a pro hot hotbed. Um, and then they've won 40 games um, every year outside of one nine and in the last nine years they've done it every year but once they've won 40 games so it's a it's a program that wins and, and is very successful well and that ties into and you know what the standard is at florida state because 11 somehow I, I don't have it in front of me but i think they won 40 plus at fsu for 40 straight years and and unfortunately yep. the regional streak yep. ended this year but but, you know, new streaks can be started. And uh, I guess from where you sit, though, I mean, you'd rather have a bar set that high so you guys can go shoot for it and, and try to exceed it. Yeah, I mean, I think that bar is why we're all here. You know, that's why we're all here. And, you know, you want to be in a place that has expectations. And I don't think you need to hide or run from that. I think it's great. You need to embrace it and just know, like, you know, things aren't going well. Like, people expect them to be better. And I think, you know, for all of us here, like, on the inside, like, you know, probably nobody's any harder on us than ourselves. So, um, yeah, you know, I know the standard here is, you know, Omaha is kind of the standard. And then, you know, winning a national championship is something that this program has been chasing for a while. And that's kind of the goal. So, um, yeah, we, we embrace those expectations and look forward to them. Micah, you mentioned uh, when talking with your dad, you mentioned the excitement of your mom. Uh, grandmothers kind of like having those grandbabies around. Have you Have you found that out yet? oh yeah oh yeah i'm just waiting like we haven't moved here yet like we're still trying to get our house sold in dallas and we're still looking places here but you know when we get here i guess the question has been you know is, is she just going to show up or we're trying to figure out how that how that dynamic works but you know we can't be more thrilled to, to have the boys you know closer to those sets of grandparents julie's parents you know are down in palm harbor and and we're excited to get the boys back to you know close to both of them and you know honestly like they've waited their turn and we get back once a year whatever that, that you know they kind of deserve to make up for lost time and we're excited to do that well the florida state community and tallahassee community are excited to have you back and uh, i know link's excited too we wish you the best of luck and thank you uh for uh, a few minutes on our show today tom and i appreciate you guys for your time and look forward to seeing you at the ballpark soon thank you coach all righty that is coach mike Capozzi. we'll take thank a break come back with more front row knolls right after this be sure to subscribe to the Front Row Knowles podcast and follow at Front Row Knowles on Twitter. Now back to at underscore Tom Block and Twitterless Keith Jones. Yes, you heard us right in the Prime Meridian Bank Studios. Back on Front Row Knowles. Hope you enjoyed uh, that interview with Mike Posey. If you had missed it previously and also the conversation with uh, Bob Ferrante. It is, uh, it's getting serious now, Keith, because now we're on the other side of the 4th of July, which means next up is ACC kickoff. That's in a couple weeks. All the conferences have their meetings, and that's when it really gets palpable here that football is about to be on our doorstep. Uh, we know that uh, in talking with folks that the kids are in summer workouts, coaches, as uh, Bob alluded to uh, in his uh, comments, are able to observe a little bit more. Um, but at the same time, we're all excited about getting camp started, getting camp started. I think the biggest thing too, by the way, uh, it's a dead period for recruiting. Although there are some announcements that, uh, were made over the 4th of July, I'm told, and, and, uh, maybe our listeners are aware of, we'll try to recap those next week. 
but finally, the coaches, I think, can spend a little time with their families before everything gets all crazy again. Yeah, they, they get a couple-week break. And, yeah, it was a busy, busy time for Florida State. And uh, we'll, we'll catch up on recruiting down the line. Keith, you know, thinking of ACC kickoff makes me think about the fact that the media will conduct a preseason poll. And Florida State fans are going to be really upset if FSU is not the preseason pick to win the conference. But I really hope that Clemson comes out on top on that poll when they do it. Clemson will be hosting FSU. The reality is a lot of times when we talk about this every year, when you look at where the, the, the media members are who vote on this, many more throughout Tobacco Road and Clemson and up the Atlantic seaboard than in the state of Florida. But, but I really hope just from a motivational standpoint and not having the bullseye on its back that FSU is not the one picked to win it, even though I, I think that they can. You know, we, we talk about motivation and we, we vacillate back and forth, you know, being snubbed in a poll. Does that really motivate your kids? Or when you get picked number one, does that really put that bullseye on your back? Um, I really don't know. Uh, I think it probably varies by each individual um, uh, player. Uh, but no, I don't have a problem with that. And, uh, and uh, I would love to be the underdog going into uh, to Memorial Stadium when Florida State visits South Carolina. What, what do you think, though, based on the there's been a lot of groundswell of, of talk about FSU nationally. But when push comes to shove and people go to vote, how do you expect that to shake out? I expect Clemson to be the preseason pick to win it just because yeah. of the nature of the voting body. And the fact that Clemson is, you know, uh, to be the champ, you got to beat the champ, even though Clemson has taken a little bit of a downturn here of late. That that kind of thinking is what you're right. What you're right. driving. At. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, but anyway, so it, it's going to be palpable, and then the Florida State will roll out the footballs and, and start getting set for LSU, and and then the month of August will be long as it as it always is. But uh, I I think I'm just ready. Uh, do we expect any any surprises here on the conference realignment front? By the way, is is a shoe going to drop between now and uh... I would I would think not, um, simply because of the timing. Uh, but but you never know in this world. You never know. I know San Diego State uh, basically withdrew their inquiry to leave uh, the conference uh, that they're in. Um, you know, I, I don't have a, a good feel for the pulse of things. I, you know, I'm mean, like most people didn't see, you know, Oklahoma and Texas joining the SEC like they did out of the blue. So, no, I don't think anything's going to happen. Uh, I think the biggest thing that will happen in the ACC is we've got to get a little more clarity on what the uh, whatever they're calling that different revenue model, where you know you're going to be rewarded for how you perform on the field, on the court, on the diamond, or whatever. That probably is the next big ACC news. UCF officially into the Big Twelve now. How do you think that will change the dynamic of what's been the Big Three in the state of Florida? Could it adversely affect FSU and UF? Is Miami most liable to have adverse effects from that since, you know, Miami's been getting South Florida kids and Orlando pretty close to South Florida, especially Palm Beach. You'd be closer to the UCF campus than Coral Gables. Well, you know, again, I think you and I both being a little bit old school, I'm not sure that that closeness to your hometown even plays a, a factor anymore. I think staying in the state does but I'm not sure that the closeness, I know this, uh, you ask UCF's coaching staff and they're already referring you, you, uh, uh, yeah, UCF's coaching staff, 
they're already referring to themselves as part of the big four. Just read the read the comments. Yeah, well, I would do that too if I was in their shoes, exactly. right? Exactly, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, when that'll really uh, get interesting is is when UCF has a legitimate product on the field. Now they're at the, that they're at the biggest boy level, so to speak. Um, well, we'll see. We'll need we'll need time to shake that one out, Keith. We're we're out of time for right now. So uh, enjoy the rest of your holiday week, and uh, we will catch up again next week. Thank you, Tommy, and uh, everybody stay safe out there. All right. Uh, until next week, he's Keith. I'm Tom. Thanks for tuning in to Front Row Knowles.